Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Hey everyone, before we get started with today's podcast, I wanted to mention that I'm offering one-to-one emotional sobriety coaching sessions. You can book one-off sessions with me or get bundles of coaching that also include access to the Thrive Sober community. All coaching is to be booked by application as I only have so many places to offer and I really want to work with people who are deadly serious about getting and staying successfully sober. Head over to sassysobermum.com slash coaching to find out more information and submit your interest. Okay, let's dive into the podcast. Hello and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I'm chatting to Heather uh, who lives in Buckinghamshire and she is 357 days sober. So you're, here we go, maths live on air, eight days. I know, (laughs) so close. Yeah, amazing. So close. (laughs) Wow, congratulations. That is such a big achievement. Thank you. So thanks for being here with me today. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are so we can get to know you? Okay, yep. So my name's Heather. I am 48 years old. Um, I'm recently married to uh, my, my husband, Lee. I have two grown-up daughters. One's nearly 24 and flown the nest and my other daughter is 20 and still lives at home. Uh, Me and my husband have five children between us. He has um, twins who are 27 and a 30-year-old son and therefore we now have two granddaughters as well. Wow. So yeah, I work full-time. I have two cats and a wonky dog. So I am... (laughs) A busy, busy, busy woman. Yes. So that's sort of me summed up. I work full time in an office. Um, and yeah, just a busy life, really managing everything and everyone and keeping up with everything, really. Yeah, which is a job in itself, isn't it? Mm, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brilliant. So talk to me about your life with alcohol. Where did that all start? Okay, so my life with alcohol started like many of my generation uh, very early on in that kind of teens era. Funny enough, at age three, I was uh, caught sipping the dregs of drinks at a New Year's, my family New Year's party, but um, I won't count that. <laughs> um, so it was the typical thing. I, th- I think my first experience of being drunk was I was about age 13, 14, and my auntie, uh, i.e. your mum's best friend, uh, she did a bonfire night every year and loads of us would go um, and there'd be fireworks and a bonfire and all the kids and everything. And the parents would have drinks or whatever. And she used to have all the drinks on the kitchen side. And there was this punch bowl. And it was a very 1980s crystal punch bowl. And it had little crystal punch glasses with it. And me and my best friend, her daughter, decided to hit the punch bowl. I don't know what was in it, probably NAF 80s, Liebfrau Milch and God knows what. But anyway, um, we we drank the we drank the punch. And I, I remember being very going, I was sleeping over at our house and 
I kept saying how dizzy I was and I was sick in a bucket and all of that. But I was about 13, 14 around that time. So that was probably my first experience of remembering being drunk yeah. as such or, or the effects of alcohol on me. And then it was very much that 90s generation, Terry, where um, this was sort of late 80s, early 90s, where, you know, me and my peers, school friends and friends outside of school, it was all about getting a bottle of Thunderbirds and, or whatever and drinking it in the park with your mates yeah um we used to do ridiculous things there was an off license on the corner because you didn't have the big supermarkets or anything then you know you had your offie on the corner and we used to stand outside and ask strangers to go in and get a bottle of booze or a bottle of cider you know a bottle of merry down or something for us and we'd go to them excuse me mate can you go and get us a bottle of cider and we'd go over to the park with 20 fags and your cassette player and just drink and have fun and be stupid and I can sort of remember that. That wasn't sort of drinking to excess in the sense of uh, being ridiculously passed out in a field anywhere, but it was all that drinking culture when you're at school before you can go to pubs and and things like that. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of that. There was a lot of house parties with my Mm -hmm. school friends. I went to a school where, I went to a grammar school where uh, some of the the kids were quite affluent and um, they had these house parties. Their parents would go away and leave them with some money and they'd have this, rather than spend it on food it would be like a, a drunken house party um and I always remember like getting one dad would drop us off and my other friend's dad would pick us up and there would just be alcohol and you would just drink and mess about and be stupid at these house parties to excess and then you'd always have to pretend to be sober in the car home when the parents came and got you so there was a lot of that and that was through my sort of mid-teens era um then I moved on to leaving school at 16 in those days you sort of did an apprenticeship it wasn't quite so much on uni and stuff and I got a really good apprenticeship um business apprenticeship so I had a college culture one day a week in London and obviously I had the means then to facilitate buying my own drink I had a salary every month I'd learned to drive I was young thin outgoing (laughs) all the things you are (laughs) all the things you are then and uh, I had a boyfriend and um, I just remember it being fun from sort of then it was fun it was all about getting into the clubs um, before you were 18 you know and in those days you could dress up put your makeup on you didn't have to scan your driver's license or anything like you do now you know you just if, if they thought you were old enough you got in yeah um and we got to know there was a local club we got to know the bouncers and the people on the door really well so we we had no problems getting in there every Friday and Saturday night and again I I don't want it to come across as a positive thing but I just remember that being a fun era yeah that was fun you know you'd get drunk you'd have I don't know diamond whites black russians k-side or whatever it was southern comforts bacardi and cokes all of those sort of things it wasn't the gin or wine culture then and you dance and, you know, you'd, you'd all stagger home a crowd of you and everything else and get up at 12 o'clock on the Sunday and mm. come down for a roast dinner in your dressing gown with a with a rollicking off your parents. You know, it was just fun. Yeah. Um, but I was always the party girl. I was always Hev, the party girl. Come on, Hev, we're going out, all of that. So I had this persona and this personality then of being Hev, Hev the party girl. Um, about age 19, 20, I got a good job with an IT firm. And we're talking mid-90s then, that real sort of Britpop, work hard, play hard ethos, I think, Terry, is probably the name you can call it. And it was a fantastic company and it was a growing company. And my director recruited all these graduates 
So his, his ethos was to recruit all these sort of graduates, IT graduates, lads and a bunch of girls and everything else. And we, so we were all very young. We were all 20 to 24. Um, and that was just a brilliant time again. But again, uh, play hard, work hard. So the the drinking culture within that company when you'd go out on a night out was just, I know you've talked about it before when you sort of had your your corporate world where you'd go out, you'd finish work on a Friday, everyone would go down the pub and you'd leave your car in the car park and it would be game over, you know? Yeah. And, um, but it was, again, it, it was it was fun, yeah. but it was, I was again, have, have the ledge, have the party girl, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember it being a problem at that stage. I, mm-hmm. I always drank when I went out. I was always, but everybody did. And I, I, I think, as my sister said to me, you know, something about our generation of that mid-90s, that drink culture that then continues into your 30s, 40s, 50s with all yeah. of us. Whereas I think different generations aren't actually quite so drink culture. Um, it's weird, isn't it? I know. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like my daughter's um, generation now, even post COVID, their 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 culture is slightly different. There's mm. they can they're a little bit different. Yeah. But and for also us, people, also just to jump in here, yeah, I remember I would have conversations with um, my ex partner's mum, mm. you know, family, and we would talk about drinking and they would always say that they couldn't afford to drink no nobody drank at home you know in the sort no. of 60s 70s I don't know about the 80s but I know obviously the parties and things started mm. and you mm. know like the, the punch bowl and the yeah. monge and all that sort yeah of thing. but they would always say that they just didn't have the money to no. do it and no. so they didn't really establish that heavy weekly or drinking at home kind of drinking culture yeah yeah I mean we certainly had we could go to a pub and drink at a pub and then go on to a club yeah. you know and we used to joke you take sort of 20 30 quid out packet of fags a night out and your bfh you know your bus fare home or whatever we used to call it you know and even your emergency fiver in your tampax pocket to get home do you know what I mean it's really <laughs> that sort of that sort yeah. of um vibe and culture and, and at that point I'd met who soon became my first husband and we bought a flat when we were quite young so um and in those days you know we you know I, I don't know I did it I afforded to buy a flat I partied every weekend and everyone would come back to our flat because we were the ones that had the flat yeah. you know and it would carry on till the daylight the birds were singing you know and, and mm-hmm. everyone the bodies on my flat floor because people had just crashed over and whatever so it was a very very hard culture and then you'd get up Monday morning cup of coffee and a fag off you go again and you know and there'd be nights out and <laughs> there was one classic one where there'd be a night out and we did like these uh company dues and it was all paid for so that was even worse wasn't it you know free beer mm. the company dues was even worse wasn't it and sometimes they'd be on a Thursday night and we'd all get up and we made sure we were in that office the next day but my god <laughs> there was one point where me and my me and my colleague were actually just throwing up in our bins under our desk because we were so hung over the next day you know yeah you don't you don't get anything done in there I, I, I you're there but the you're not getting work and it just being like literally looking at the clock from nine to five thinking how do I get the hell out of here yeah the only yeah. time leaving the office to get a McDonald's at lunch yeah know? we had a we had a sandwich van come around with sausage buddies <laughs> and everyone would get that you know so I'd say like my 20s was was fun, you know, it was fun drinking. And then I had my first daughter at age 24. I got married to my husband and had my first daughter at age 24. And my drinking stopped then really because I was pregnant. 
So automatically you 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 don't drink. Oh, I didn't when I was pregnant. And it probably wasn't that very heavy mummy wine culture. No, there then. wasn't then. No, yeah, there wasn't then. So. Absolutely not. And I had my first daughter, Emily. Um, I was just coming up to age 25. So I was quite a young mum, really. But I was married and we had a house and we both worked and all of that. And that was a massive culture shock because I had quite a, a dreadful birth with her um, and I had a C-section, which I hadn't been planning on. And so I got quite postnatally depressed after because I was six weeks indoors, first baby, you don't know what you're doing, do you? And, um, you know, my husband was going out to work and he continued going to the gym and going out. And my husband at the time, he was quite still a, a party guy. He was very young to have a kid. We both were really. Um and I, I had my first daughter and my drinking really did subside during that period when she was little. Mm. So that, that era I didn't because I was always the driver. If there was a family party, my husband would continue to get drunk. Mm. But I, I would be the one holding the baby, for want of a better word, yeah. and being the driver home, you know, and getting up the next morning while he nursed a hangover. And I'd a couple of instances where I went out and, you know, did at the odd night out, but not, not, I would say not excessive. Yeah. Um, and then some cracks started appearing in my marriage to, to him and the pressures of, of children. And I just wanted this family unit and he still wanted to be, you know, Jack the lad. Um, but we had our second daughter um, and I was 28 when I had, had, her, had her. And again, really things were starting to break in the marriage. It was, you know, we, we, we'd wanted another child and we had another child um, and I had another C-section with her and um, I was a lot more prepared for it. And so we looked at a solution and, and and my husband at the time, he was still going out quite a bit. You know, he, he I don't want to diss him down too much, you know, because that would be wrong. But he was he, he liked to gamble. He liked to drink. He liked weed. He liked all of those things. Um, and uh, that was hard because I sort of was at home with the baby. I still worked. I worked part time um, and continued to work all the way through really so that I had my independence because he could be quite sort of domineering in certain ways and sometimes and um we moved we moved away because I saw that as a bit of a solution to save our marriage was that mm. we would move away so we yeah. moved about 45 minutes away to another town took the children Sophie was only about one and I, I it wasn't the right thing to do I was so lonely two kids you know husband at work I, I was so so I made friends through toddler groups and things like that. Mm. And that did then become a little bit of the mummy wine culture with the group of friends I had there. It was a bit sort of Friday night, go around one of the women's houses and she'd cook some pasta or whatever and you'd get the bottle of wine out and that sort mm. of thing. Mm. But again, not too excessive because I was I had this husband who was like the drinker, so I, it wasn't too too excessive. Yeah. We then obviously ended up divorcing um, when I was about 32, I think. 2008 2009 uh he left just before Christmas um so that was a really hard time and that's when problems started Terry that's when the real real problem started mm -hmm. was I went through a very very acrimonious nasty divorce it was a really difficult difficult time um we fought terribly uh the reason for the divorce was was quite hard on me um and my self-esteem was just rock bottom and uh so what I did just to summarize that quickly so I don't go on too much was that um I moved back home I moved back home to, to my hometown you know I, I left and I took the two kids and and I didn't want to face him and and 
uh, you know, what I perceived to be the other woman. I didn't want, I didn't want to face that, you know, I didn't want to, and I needed my support network around me. And that was, you know, my mum, my sister, my friends. I needed those people around me to help me, not just emotionally, but practically as well. When you're a single mum, as you know, you know, you, you're trying to juggle full-time work and kids and it's all just a blur, isn't it, at that time? Yeah. And, and But that's when I would sit alone, the kids in bed, and that's when I'd open the rosé and mm. one bottle led to two bottles and... Mm. you know it wasn't drinking to oblivion at home but it was just escapism yeah, it was just um, really it was just let me just escape from this day I've worked all day I've dealt with the kids I've dealt with my emotions I might have been dealing with solicitors or whatever with the divorce or rows over text with the ex and it was just like I just need mm. you know uh, to get through this um so I moved back home I moved in with my mum for a couple of months while my flat went through and then me and the girls we got a little flat and loved it it was great you know got my little flat Closed my door to that flat and it was like, right, this is my new life. It's me and the girls. This is our new life, you know. Um, so that was better and that was the right thing to do. But again, the drinking, rosés. And then, of course, I had dad weekends. Mm. So dad weekends when the girls went off yeah. was, let's go out, let's, you know. It's a weird time, the dad weekends in the beginning, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's like yeah. you're desperate for this bit of freedom, Mm. And respite and relaxation but then when they go out the door it's complicated internally yeah. there are feelings of just so much loneliness and maybe envy what are they doing in their happy little family that I'm not yeah definitely. I, I haven't got that anymore and they're going off and doing all these fabulous things and you know it feels a bit shit with me on my own because I can't yeah. do all these things because I haven't got a partner or the money all the money all the, all the time <laughs> you know like I always thought oh dad weekends is all the fun stuff and then I get the crap when it comes back you know the bag of dirty washing and the yeah. stroppy kids and tired yeah. you know and back to yeah. school and all the the rubbish yeah. stuff but you know, I got through that. And during that time, I met who is now my husband. Um, and so we used dad weekends today and because I didn't want to introduce him to the kids too soon and all of that. So we used we used that. And, um, you know, it was, again, our dating culture was, you know, we'd go out, we'd have meals, we'd have wine, we'd have a drink. But, you know, fun and you're dating and everything else. Um, and, you know, our relationship got serious. And once we were comfortable in that, he moved into the flat. He was brilliant, brilliant with my girls. Um, always has been. And my girls started growing up. Now, my youngest daughter is autistic, so we didn't have that diagnosed. And when she went to secondary school, that was a real, real issue. And uh, it took two years to get her diagnosed. Um, and that was a really difficult, difficult time. Uh, she didn't cope with moving into senior school. Uh, um, and there was a lot surrounding that and a very difficult time. Whilst that was going on, I was in quite a toxic culture at work quite a toxic company um so I had some bullying going on and I had some issues going on with my work which the knock-on effect caused problems with me and my husband or Lee you know my, my partner at the time um put some stress on the relationship and so again I just drank you know I go on a work do and we'd have a work quarterly do and, and yeah just free booze and just drank to oblivion and terribly so that sometimes you know someone you trusted at work would be putting you to bed at your hotel room because you were so pissed you know um and you're so and that's when the loss of memory and the blackout started as I got older as well I believe that I was sort of from about 2015 onwards when I was 40 I started getting perimenopausal and I think that 
Mm. also triggered a lot of things because I couldn't drink like I used to and every time I did drink I went into blackout every and then the next day oh my god what did I do what did I say what did I you know how did I end up in bed with just my bra on you know or or just stuff and I'd be texting all my friends the next day going oh god what did I do and they'd and they'd all say oh you were great you would just have you just Mm. have you were fine what does that mean what does that even mean because Mm. I don't remember there's literally no memory Terry and I had so much going on at home and work and and relationship and everything else and Lee and I bought a new house because we thought you know that would be great give the kids a bedroom each and all of that and it it just all went it just all went to shit and um yeah the pressures through 2015 2016 2017 and I remember my kids parties birthday parties Terry i Emily, my older one, she was sort of teenagers and I let her have a party for her 17th and I went out to the pub for a couple of hours so they had their space. I came back, I joined them all. I'm doing shots with her mates. You know, it's just, she went to bed and and, and, I'm, and I'm just like, this is, that's, you know, almost inappropriate, you know, yeah. just wrong on so many levels. And again, the next day I'd be like, oh my God, I've ruined my daughter's birthday. What did I do? You know, and asking my 17-year-old daughter what I did the night before. How awful is that? How terrible is that? And so that built up to 2018, which was like the worst year ever. Um, my daughter, my younger daughter suffered some serious mental health issues that year. Um, I had problems at work. Um, Lee and I split up briefly. Um, and I, I had a breakdown in the end. In 2018, I had a nervous breakdown. Mm. And and they said at the time, I think it was just a culmination of the 10 years of just doing it. You know, working, kids bringing it all up dealing with the divorce never really processed mm. it all mm. Mm. you know and processed my own emotions and it all just manifested itself and it just went the the cup of overflowed as they say you're spinning all these plates aren't you yeah and it just went boom just got too much too much and just completely so uh, I had about three or four weeks off work they put me on quite strong antidepressants all of that and they said I couldn't drink and do you know what I didn't I didn't drink for a couple of months. I went on my best friend's Hindu and I didn't drink because I was on the medication. So I, I could do it. I could do it. Mm, yeah. But it, 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 it never, it never stopped, you know? And after that, I got made redundant. I say redundant. I think I was just the company that I worked for. Um, once I had the breakdown and everything. And I think they were like, you know, they found an excuse to get rid of me really. Yeah. Um, but I found another job quite quickly, which is where I'm working now, which I love. Uh, Lee and I got back together because we I processed sort of what was going on. And he was, he was so, the things he's put up with, honestly, with me. Um, but I had terrible anxiety, terrible anxiety, terrible low self-esteem, terrible confidence. Um, but I still drank. I still drank every time I went out. And I've heard on this podcast so many women saying, um, I go, right, I'm just going to drink gin. I'm just I like that tonight. I'm just going to drink this because I don't get as drunk on that. So mm. if I just have that, I won't get as drunk. Yeah. Oh, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to drive to that and I won't drink. But then you end up drinking because you leave your car there because you have one and then you, you oh, know, that's it. It's all you know, Prosecco came into the mix around that time. Gin came into the mix all around that time. Prosecco. Yeah. Prosecco's lethal. It bubbles it's go lethal. straight to your head. Yeah, champagne. I don't, I don't even drink champagne. Yeah, but it it has a different effect. I remember a friend's Hindu. We were drinking prosecco, bottle of prosecco, bottle of prosecco, bottle. Of, I don't remember nothing. Mm. Don't remember nothing. You know, yeah. um, 
and and yeah so then obviously covid hit actually i hear on here a lot of people they're drinking escalated during covid i think my drinking was okay during covid i had i had the gin i had the gin i had the wine i've done the patio but because i couldn't go out yeah i wasn't drinking the 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 cheap crap wine in the pub you know i wasn't with my friends so i wasn't you know drinking in that way so you know i drank all through covid but maybe like not that excessive drinking I drank and I continued to drink but not mm. but, but during COVID then uh, my husband he um he's still my partner at the time he dropped down with a heart attack serious heart attack oh god uh, two weeks two weeks after my dad had had a stroke oh two weeks after god. his son had had brain surgery and then he had he dropped down on the living room floor with a heart attack so it was like ah at age 47 so it was like oh, okay <laughs> life's changed um, that was pretty hard because it was COVID. I couldn't go with him. Couldn't oh get washed off in the ambulance God. with him. So that was really difficult. Uh, and from that, then that changed a lot of things. Um, again, I didn't really process it because I wasn't. I feel like I wasn't there for it. Mm. I don't feel like I was there for my dad having his stroke, and I wasn't there because you couldn't be at these things, could you? Yeah. Um, and he came home from hospital, and life just changed for us. You know. Just, uh, uh, his health is still poorly. He's, you know, never going to be able to work full time again. And things changed financially then and all sorts. And, um, but we did, the one good thing was we decided to get married from that. You know, we went, let's, you know, let's cement this. Um, and that's where my point, that's where the final straw came, Terry. That is where the final straw came. You know, I'd had years of drinking, falling over, bruises, not remembering, putting myself in dangerous situations, all the things you hear regularly on this podcast. And I, I listen and I go, oh my God, yeah. You know, and all the anxiety, all the, and nobody understands. I don't think anybody really, really understands. You say to your friends, I just don't remember. I just don't remember. Are you all right? Are you all right? So my wedding and I, I had a beautiful wedding and I don't remember it, which I will never, ever get back. And that was the final straw for me. I let so many people down. I let I let my husband down. I let Lee down. Uh, I let, let my husband down. I let myself down. And I, and I let my mum down. You know, I promised my mum and everything I wouldn't drink, you know, and, and wouldn't get drunk. I didn't want to be that pissed bride. And I ended up being exactly that and then some. And I spent the day so anxious about it all. Like I got up in the morning, I was like, I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking. We had like pictures with um, Asti Spimante because we like that. You know, I don't know if you know that drink. It's a really sweet, sparkly drink. So we had bottles of that in the room, me and the bridesmaids, to get ready. But I, I wouldn't drink it. I'd do all the photos with it, but I wouldn't drink it because I was like, right, I'm not, I'm not drinking. I didn't have a drink during the photos. I didn't have a drink. Um, even with the meal, I made sure that I had like one rosé, one wine, tried desperately not to drink a lot with the meal so that I remembered it. Did my speech, Lee did his speech, best man. We had these secret singers, that you know, that come up and all of a sudden start singing it. You know, great. All that finished. And uh, I remember someone bought a bottle of champagne at the bar and said, do you want a glass of champagne? And I went, yeah, yeah, all right. I don't remember much past that. And I think it was the adrenaline of the day, mm. the anxiety mm. of the day, mm. the hype of the day. Uh, you put so much on this one day. Um, it was a beautiful sunny day. Everything went so smoothly, swimmingly. Nothing went wrong. Everyone was happy. It was the first time everyone been together after COVID. Yeah. And um, we just wanted everybody to have this wonderful, happy day, which they all did. 
I'm told. Um, and I got drunk and then you go into that whole, I, I was a, uh, my drinking was a speed up drink, a guzzler drink. So that's how come I couldn't moderate. I'd have those couple of glasses of wine and then I'd be pissed Hev. And then I'd have the third glass of wine. And my, my drinking, my best friend said to me, your drinking speeds up Hev. Mm. And then you guzzle and then you speed up um, mm. or you just consume it. And and then you're just like, I'm pissed. So I don't know. I, I God knows what I drank. Um, and I don't remember my wedding reception. I don't remember any of that party. I don't remember going to bed. I don't remember all of that part. And that is such a shame. Such Because you're never going to get that back. Yeah. You're never going to get that back. And I said after that, I am not doing this anymore. That was the final nail in the coffin for me. But do you know what? I bloody did. We went to the Liam Gallagher concert at Nebworth a couple of weeks later. Went on honeymoon. Drank, didn't drink a lot on honeymoon, just your poolside inclusive stuff. Went to Liam Gallagher, wasn't going to drink that much. And the only thing they sold was these cheap, naff, warm bottles of rosé. So me and my best mate, what were we buying? Two bottles of rosé because the queue was ridiculous. For 30 quid a pop or whatever they were charging. Pissed as a fart, pissed as a fart at Liam Gallagher. We had a nightmare getting home. I was an absolute arse, apparently. And then Lee collapsed that night as well. My husband collapsed that night with his heart thing again. Oh, God. And you sober up very quickly, and we were in an ambulance, and we spent the night in Stevenage Hospital. But, um, I, you know, I'm trying to tell him his meds, his list of meds, and I'm trying to go through what he's on. And I'm, I'm half pissed, you know? Like, I'm just like, couldn't... And then the week after that, I think it was, we had his stepdaughter's wedding, who I'm really close with, really got a good relationship with my stepdaughter, love her to bits. And I was there the morning of her wedding for her while she was getting ready, all of that beautiful. And I was like, well, I'm not going to mess this up. I am not going to mess this up for him or for her. And again, I staggered my drinking all day. Or oh, I tell you what, I'll just drink apple oil spritz. I'll just drink this. Mm-hmm. And it was fine till about the evening. And then again, my drinking sped up when everything was done. And um apparently I was a bit of an arse and we went back to the hotel room and I was trying to cause an argument with Lee and again I don't remember any of it and it was that morning he sat in a chair across from the hotel room to me and said this is and I I said I don't remember Lee what did I do I said I'm so sorry I don't intend to do any of this I never intend to do any of this and he said no I know he said I know I said I've got a problem haven't I and and we both went yeah and I went shit I've got to do something and it was from then. That's when I. That's when I sort of gave up. Um, and nothing's ever going to get back your your regret and and your shame and your guilt and all of those things. Nothing's ever going to get that back, is it? I'm never going to get those days back. I'm never going to get those parties, those memories back. Um, it's lucky I didn't flip and injure myself. You know, the amount of times I fell downstairs or wake up with bruises everywhere, or my friends. I had bruises on my arms where they've carried me home, you know. But I can do something about it now. Yeah. You know, so nothing nothing is going to, you know, I just want to get married again so I can do it all again and remember it. But nothing is going to bring that back. Um, but the only thing I can do is, is, you know, be better and stop. And And I had to accept that I'm not, you know, do you say you're an alcoholic? I don't know. I hate that term. Yeah, I don't like I don't like the term alcoholic, Terry, because it's like your your perception of an alcoholic is some drunkard who's got gin buried in the cupboard under the sink, and I'm not that. Yeah, your my my yours and my drinking styles are really similar. You can keep a lid on it if you try really hard, like quite a few times, but then 
there's a ratio almost like whatever that ratio is you know one in seven times it's just going to go tits up yeah and that's exactly like me that was exactly like my style of drinking wasn't drinking every day could actually moderate quite well when I was drinking at home or you know if I was really hyper focusing on it making sure that I didn't have you know, if I had red wine, I wasn't allowed white as well. If I, you know, all the rules. All the rules, yeah, all the rules. All the rules. You know, but, I'll just drink this tonight or I'll just drink that. Or what I'll do is I'll, yeah. you know, my 40th birthday party, you know, I'll just drink Pims. I'll drink Pims all night because then I'll remember, I'm all right on Pims. Yeah. What was I shit? I was pissed as a fart, you know. Yeah. Don't yeah. remember. That I, some of it, you know, my 40th wasn't too bad, but the last part of the evening, I don't remember. But for me, it was the blackout. I think if I could get drunk and be like everybody else and just have a good time and maybe feel a bit jaded the next day, but I've had a good time and remember it all, maybe I'd still be drinking. I don't know. But the blackout part, and I've I've had to, the last year I've had to be really kind to myself and go, do you know what, Hev? You couldn't control that. You know, you couldn't control the fact that you would blackout. That's science. That's Whether it was age, menopause, brain, my breakdown, whatever, something triggered in my brain that every time I drank, I'd go to blackout. Mm. And and it it was literally, and what I'd do is I'd go out, I'd do it, I'd binge and I'd go, oh, shit, I'm not doing that again. They'd have a couple of weeks where you wouldn't drink or whatever. And then something could come up. My best friends would go, you're coming down the pub on a Friday night. And we had this lovely little pub down the village and we beat my two best friends and me and Lee would, and it would be like, game over, the first bottle of white rosé would come out, and you knew it was game over for the night then. Because, mm. you know, the second bottle of rosé would come out, and then the third bottle of rosé would come out. Mm. You know, but she she could moderate. And, and I used to say, but we're having the same amount. And I used to say to my, my friends, i say, we're, we're buying the same drinks. We're having the same volume of drinks mm. at the same time. But what would happen is, is mine would accelerate, and they could pull back. Mm. And that's where, because I'd, I'd be like, well, what's, what is it with me and my brain that you can drink that much and you're all right, but I drink that much and I'm not all right? What it's makes fun, that? It's funny though, this, because I, I'm, and this comes up a lot. And I always say to people, how do you really know that it's all right for them? True. And this is the thing that I think we get into our heads as well, just because we're so brilliant at putting ourselves down and mm. and shaming ourselves for drinking and you're absolutely right you know okay you pick up the you pick up the alcoholic drink and and there's some responsibility there in picking up the drink but if you're drinking regularly you you're addicted to that unfortunately Mm. it is an addictive substance and Mm -hmm. there is association issues you know going to a pub going going home on a friday driving past your favorite wine shop there is association with alcohol that is planted in your head, and that is brain science. That is happening. Your brain is dropping dopamine every time you think about alcohol because it wants to encourage you to have it. So yeah. you, if you start drinking and you drink regularly, or if you have a drinking history like ours, which starts off at 14 to get drunk when you have a drink, you don't sit in the park bench to have one glass of sophisticated wine. You go to get wrecked. And yeah. that sets you up, or sets a lot of people up, for that pattern for, for their for their lifetime until they either grow out of it, who are these people? I don't know very many. Um, or you just carry on, which I know many of. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely, um, definitely. And then you stop, like what we have. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? I think we're we're very good at shaming ourselves. 
But actually, it isn't our fault that, like you say, we black out or we drink too too much or too fast. Or, you know, every time we drink a drink, basically the front part of our brain that makes decisions and can rationalize starts to feel blunted. It starts to shut down. Mm. I mean, that just physically happens. So you can understand why you would have a few drinks and then that would be that would be it you know yeah because I yeah rules out the window window because I just went into blackout they wouldn't know I'm in blackout I'd obviously don't know I'm in blackout no it's quite frightening blackout isn't it because you act completely normal to other people but actually you just have no memory of it and Mm. and and I used to hate blackouts and I wouldn't blackout every time but I would blackout regularly when I was out and I would be standing up having conversations for three or four hours in blackout and I'm like what was I talking about what did I say what did I say it's like I watch videos of my wedding and people recorded videos on their phones and everything and I watch it and I'm up dancing and I'm lifting my dress up and god knows what and having a great time and I'm like scary so to everybody else I was having a great time but to me I'm like I have no idea oh that's horrible that must be horrible to watch that because I've actually not got very much footage of me being in a blackout but I would find that quite quite freaky to to be haunting yeah it is quite haunting how can that just completely not exist in your brain this is it's just blackness yeah nothing and I rack my brain and I you know I go through the photos all the time and I rack my brain and I go I don't remember that yeah so I've I've really got to process that a bit more and deal with that a bit more um yeah which I'm working on so yeah but yeah but that you know if anything good came out of it it's this and it's the positive side and it's the fact that you know um I've admitted you know someone said to me but you're not an alcoholic have you're not an alcoholic yeah. and I'd go no 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 I'm not an alcoholic I don't have a problem with drink and I don't know who, who created this I have a problem when I drink yeah I know, it's, know? It, it, but that that whole thinking comes from the situation that's been created where apparently we only have two types of drinkers in the world mm. people that can manage their drinking take it or leave it and alcoholics mm. but that's mm. not you know that that as we're learning and as we're educating that is not the case you know we have middle lane drinkers or gray um, area, gray area drinkers. Now, how, how, yeah yeah however yeah. you want to term it at the end of the day there is a spectrum and there are people um on one side that can have two beers a year and they can take it or leave it these people are like my husband and then on the other end of the spectrum there are people that are alcohol dependent like they are physically dependent they cannot function without alcohol they cannot even get up or go and Mm. do anything in Mm. their day unless they've got alcohol in their system Mm. and then there is all this stuff in between and you can't you can't define what that thing is it's not one thing you know somebody can drink only every friday but they can black out every Friday. They can have anxiety mm. for five days afterwards. They can feel mm. terrible. That's mm. problematic drinking, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. They can drink every night, but only two glasses. They think that's okay, but they're not giving their liver or their organs a rest. And no. actually, that kind of drinking is scientifically now coming out as worse for you than drinking a few nights a week and having a bit more because mm. you're never letting your body detox and recover. So you can't you can't put um you know you can't put a fence around what type of drinker sits in that middle bit. It's such a spectrum. Yeah. And that's where you and I were. That's where we yeah. were. And I don't need a label, just like you. I don't need to be called a label. That 
if people want to give me a label that says more about them and their discomfort around my decision not to drink yeah doesn't say anything about me no no so yeah so you know that sort of brings us brings us to here really and giving up and and uh, you know and moving forward with it and just trying to trying to continue this you know I don't I don't want to use the phrase journey it's, it's you know but just to keep keep at it really and keep going and you know it's sort of people say well you're never going to drink again that's the question I get are you never going to drink again yeah and it's like well yeah at the moment no <laughs> because I can't yeah I can't risk taking that one to then take that two to take that three Will something happen in my life where I might need a drink? I don't know. Well, you know, perhaps the, the awful day when I suffer, you know, a terrible bereavement or something, will I cope? Will I not cope? I don't know that. I don't know the answers to that. Mm-hmm. Will I reach for the bottle or will I go, do you know what? No, I, I don't need that. I'll, I'll find another way. I can't answer those questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't answer them no, yet. No. Yeah. And I'm doing what I'm doing now and dealing with it now and then exactly. as best I can and trying to be be better for it and and not wake up wondering what the hell I did, how the hell I got there, you know, what is this bruise on my thigh and what did I do last night? You know, that's the part that really got me. Yeah. So, so how did you support yourself? What did you do when you on that day when you realised, yeah, I've got a problem, I need to stop drinking, what did you do? I'd already Googled, you know, as you do, that whole new term, that's a very new term, isn't it, that sober curious term, but I had Googled, I'd, I'd contacted Alcoholics Anonymous, which was like, I'm not quite, I don't feel I was quite there. Um, I'd Googled all the bit about why do you black out? Why do you, why do I black out when I drink? I'd been Googling all that. This is, and this is years before I actually gave up. Um, but to do it, I started, or uh, social media was the biggest help, I think, Um podcasts like yours podcasts like sober dave sober walkwood all of those i started listening to those and things that were more centered around my age group as well um that worked better for me because it was that generational thing um i told my kids and my husband and said look this is what i'm doing um i told some friends and family i went to a first party and i said no i'm not drinking i'm not drinking anymore and um the comment was it won't last and i thought do you know what I'm going to prove you wrong. No, I did exactly the same. Yeah. I'm going to prove you wrong. And that fired a determination. But in me, it was very much, um, I needed to be there for my husband. You know, if something happened to him, I need to be able to get in the car, you know. Um, I needed I needed to remember things myself. I needed to be better at how I was. So for me, it was podcast, 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 podcast. Mm online research online questioning I also started looking up you know the whole menopausal effects as well you know did it change when I got menopausal I don't want to put too much of a label on that but was that the trigger that Mm. made things happen in my brain I don't know um I read in the sober diaries at the moment I haven't read too much I know there's a lot of books but I don't have much time for that so I tend to find listening Mm. when I'm walking my dog or or when I'm driving the car to work I feed my mind that way because that's the time that I can. I have spare time to do it. Yeah. Um, and feed my mind and my brain like that. So, and just sheer determination. And and if I wanted a drink, the one thing that stops me, a lot of people talk about this reason why, and I don't know if it's a reason why or what, but I think for me, 
if I, you know, especially with the summer, you know, everyone's sitting out now, aren't they, having a glass of wine in a garden, in a pub, and I think, oh, God, you know, you have that. Oh, God, I loved, used to love that. But I think about my wedding day. That's what stops me. Yeah. That's what I do not ever want to lose something like that again. And that's the massive, massive impact that's had. And I try not to go on too much of a bit about my husband because he said, you know, once, Hev, stop going on about it. You're kind of tarnishing the day for me now. And I don't want that because he was pissed as a fart as well. He had a great time, but he remembers it all. Um, and then I don't want to tarnish that, keep tarnishing that for him. So I try and deal with that and my demons of that myself. Um mm-hmm. So it's really mainly been the social media thing, the podcast thing, finding those people out there. I find my circle, I love all my friends dearly and my family dearly, but I don't think anyone really, really understands yeah. properly what went on mm. in my head or what goes on in my head other than me. And also, you know, the, the sober world, um, I find that quite relatable totally you had a woman I was listening to your podcast the other day you had that lady from Minnesota who didn't remember her wedding either and um oh Maggie yeah 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 I listened to her the other day and and you know things like that and you know she's had a lot of trauma in her life but she didn't she didn't remember her wedding day and she was quite good about it she was like you know but whatever and I was like how do you move on from that you know but um I won't bang on about that too much but yeah mainly just sheer determination if I feel that I needed that drink it was like no and also this whole proving people wrong mm. I, I don't know that seems to be a bit of a spurns me on more yeah you Definitely. know there's certain people I want to prove wrong and that really really spurns me on more um yeah. that I can do it and I will do it and that you know yeah I had a problem with it and mm. and I've admitted that now and you know like you say I'm not that alcoholic label but I'm moving on from it so yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I think as well, the thing with your, the thing with your wedding, you know, it's okay to feel sadness around, Mm -hmm. you know, it's okay. I think with things like that, a lot of that, a lot of moving on from that will come when you forgive yourself for it. Yeah. Which I haven't done yet. Yeah. Yeah, But it does happen. It does happen. And I think part of the forgiveness story is accepting and, and also, you know, looking back with compassion and fostering that compassion for yourself. You know, you have had lots of things happen, lots of ups and downs, mm. lots of things that would have been like, you know, your versions of trauma, you know, being mm. being single parent and, and all these things. And, you know, the way that I dealt with that is I always would look back at myself and just try to look at myself, the position that I was in and what I was trying to escape from and, and and the demons that I had at that mm. time. And, mm. and just if I could go back, I'd give myself a hug. Every mm. time I did one of those stupid things, I'd really hug myself because mm. I just, that's all I needed, really. I just, mm. I needed to have my own back and I didn't, mm. I didn't have my own back. And, and so I think sometimes just doing that little bit of work on, you know, looking back, journaling as well around that, trying to create some compassion and accepting that who you were then is not who you are now. No. And one thing I find quite good when I listen to these things is that, you know, it is very much that, and I don't want to bang on and preach, you know, that alcohol is a drug, a poison, all of those things. That's not what I want to, I don't want to be sort of be like that um, because those that do drink and enjoy it, that's absolutely fine, you know, that's okay. Um, but 
I think, you know, it's, I think someone said as well, you know, if I was if I was addicted to cocaine or heroin or, you know, some flipping drug and I was doing that all the time and I went, oh, you know what, I've stopped doing cocaine. Like you say, everyone would be like, well done, Heather, God, you're wow. doing really well. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. You know, but because you've stopped drinking, you know, and drugs were never a thing for me. You know, they were never a thing for me. And I think in my brain, drinking was okay because it was allowed because it's legal. Mm. and you know all through the 90s I saw many a people snort a line of coke in the bathroom mm. do you know what I mean and say do you want some heavy but you know what I never did never wanted it never wanted to touch drugs I think I smoked weed with my husband in Amsterdam one and that was about it you know it was never a thing for me um because to me in my head and I'm still quite anti-drugs it was it was wrong because it was illegal mm. whereas drinking was okay so even though I probably drank to as much oblivion as I would doing a few lines of coke it was okay because that's legal and that's allowed I know it's absolutely warped. And the thing that we all forget here um, is that alcohol kills more people globally than all other drugs combined. Mm, mm. And it's legal, so it's okay. It's okay. It's just mental. It's you know, actually you, mental. You get yourself in such a state that, you, you know, someone's taken you home and got you through your front door because yeah. you just don't even know where you are. Yeah, yeah. But that's okay because you just got pissed. Yeah. How's yeah. that... How, yeah, and, like, and like you okay. say, you don't want to bang on about like alcohol's bad, alcohol's bad, or on all that stuff. It's just frustrating to be somebody who wants to live a sober life or live without alcohol. Um, it's frustrating to be faced with the comments and the judgment and the mm. questions from mm. drinkers and from the drinking section of society because we're the ones that have suddenly got a problem or, yeah. you know, or not cool or not fun anymore because we don't want to do that thing that's just been bloody marketed very well. Yeah, yeah. I was on one of the, you know, one of your questions is what did you find the hardest part? And I, I found like when I first said this and I said I'm going sober, you know, that phrase, going sober, is associated with alcoholics, yeah? So a lot of my friends, and I was party Hev, Hev the ledge, Hev's brilliant, Hev's great fun, go on Hev, <laughs> I was all of those things, right? And I think a lot of people, and myself included, was like, who am I going to be now? Yeah. If I'm not mad party Hev, the pissed one giving it large, who am I? What am I going to be to these people? And so the, the hardest thing was when I said to, to those people, I'm not drinking, and I had events, I had a friend's my best friend's birthday party I had I've had a you know weekends away I've had nights out I've had all of those things now um I've had to conquer um but the hardest part with me you know and you hear it so many times all oh, the flipping questions and I remember going to a friend's 50th one of my closest friends uh last November so what I was a few months in and it was what's that with you have you not having a drink why are you having a drink I'll go and have a drink you'll be all right I'll go and be daft girl come on all of that and it's like why because I'm known for drinking and because I'm known for what it does and I'm fun and I, I create all this fun and laughter and whatever and the conversation the next day, what what is I now know that it's it's not I don't want to say it's coming from their fear or their, you know, their their problems, because that's not fair with my friends. But I think it was just that constantly. And I went to another friend's 50th and I had like the non-alcoholic beers, because you just don't want the bloody questions. So you hold that beer in your hand because it looks like but even then, people was like, you're still not drinking, Hev? No, 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 I'm still not drinking. Oh, you're doing all right with that then, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm going to keep that. It's just constant. It's mm. More and more have accepted it. As I get more closer to the year, mm. a lot more people have accepted it. Like my mum now will buy a bottle of non-alcoholic wine and put it in the fridge for me or whatever, uh -huh. you know. Um, and, uh, you know, friends are a lot better. And I try my, I prefer socialising 
Mm. differently now you know like I'd rather go I went out for lunch with my two closest friends recently and we had a lovely lunch and I had a I had a mocktail you know they had two glasses one they carried on we went to a pub they carried on they carried on into the evening I went home I'd like to be at that point where I can carry on but I wasn't quite there yet um but you know what and it's funny because I said to my brother I said oh I said you know instead of this not drinking thing I said what do you not what do you miss about me you know what do you are you all right with it are you all right with how I am I just thought I'll just ask them and they said and they were lovely, actually. They both said, oh, yeah, there's elements of it that we miss, you know, party have and all that. They said, but we're really, really proud of you. Oh. You know, they said, I couldn't do it, so I'm really, really proud of you. You know, So that was good, you know, and people are accepting it as it goes on more. People yeah. are becoming more. Yeah. You know, I re- uh, even at the weekend, I went to a friend's, everybody, we're all turning 50, so there's nothing but 50. So I went to a friend's 50th on Saturday, and they were dishing out glasses of Prosecco on arrival. And one of my closest friends from sort of 30 years now passed me the glass of elderflower. So oh, there wasn't even not... there wasn't even a question. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I yeah. went, oh, it's non-alcoholic, isn't it? She went, yeah, yeah, it's elderflower hair. I went, oh, God. you know, there wasn't even. So that to me is showing that they're accepting it now. Yeah, it's progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and that's good. You know, people are people are starting to uh realize that but you know they carried on after on that party but me and Lee went home you know he wasn't yeah. feeling well he can't do it as much now so that kind of helps as well and you know I said oh you know we're hot and Lee's had enough we're gonna go and we, we went when the party finished we didn't go on for the cocktails and the 2 yeah. 30 finish or anything else Look, had a great night got up and danced no yeah. problem that's the went thing home. though like I don't think it's funny I do think sometimes there is this pressure that's you know we need to go out and be able to stand in a bar for five hours to mm. have the fun we used to have but actually two hours and that's where the fun is and then I'm done and yeah. that's, I think people do realize that as they move through move through sobriety I think they I think it's okay people start to accept that well actually the best fun is probably 7 30 till 9 30 10 then then it, then it just goes downhill from there yeah because everyone's pissed so in anyway it's just it about doesn't... having that confidence I think to to say like I'm going to come for a couple of hours and then I'm going to go home get my cup of tea get my book go to bed or do do my normal mm. things you know and mm. wake up fresh like that that's okay um because I do think actually you're not really missing anything after two two and a half hours no and I think it's great because my friends are just starting my closest friends are starting to accept that there's you know they see heaven a different way now and and it does show you who who loves you because a lot of them now are like oh do you know what heaven that's how we see you you know I've got some friends my best friend coming next week and she's going to drive up and we're going to go for me all the four of us and but do you know what it proves that those friendships were there without alcohol because they can still see me and still want to spend time with me without me being drunk mad heb sure they miss it of course they do but they're gonna have to get used to loving me and being with me and spending time with me in that way now yeah yeah and family's not an issue my dad's a drinker always has been but my mum's completely teetotal and so is my sister so they've always found it quite hard to understand the drinking thing but you know they're just as supportive you know like I said mum will just buy a bottle of Seco or something now if I'm going around for Sunday lunch and that's great um but you know my friends who were the ones that I grew up all through the 90s with and we had this you know big they're they're all you know that's how we do it now that's that's how Hev does it she's there and I can still have a mad personality and be outgoing and everything else but I'm just not getting mooied yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, basically 
So, so yeah. Talk about talk about where um, what's what's been the positives for you? Like, what have you gained getting sober? For me, it's my mental health. I haven't done, you know, I'm going to say it. I'm not a runner. Um, I haven't gone to the gym. I haven't discovered boot camp. You know, if anything, I've gained weight because I just substituted wine with cake, you know, and that's okay. I'll, I'll deal with that for now. Um, <laughs> you know, Friday, that Friday night reward now is a hot bath, a cup of tea and a bar of Galaxy or something. Do you know what Ooh, I mean? But it's, it's not, it's not, I've got to be kind to myself that, do you know what? Yeah, you're eating the chocolate and you've gained a bit of weight, but you're not pissed and you don't, you know, you know what you're doing. Exactly. So I, I can't say that I've gained health benefits in that way yet because I have a thyroid condition so I'm bloody knackered all the time and a busy life but it's the mental health that is the ultimate massive biggest thing for me that anxiety of all that anxiety about going out that night what am I going to drink what if I get drunk or if I do this Lee tell me if I start drinking too much Lee tell me to stop all of that and that Sunday morning, I might still be tired the next day and have a snooze on a Sunday afternoon, but I'm not spending the Sunday wondering what the hell I did, messaging everybody, apologising to everybody, throwing up. I used to suffer badly with my stomach after a piss-up and I'd be being sick on both ends and everything else all day, all day till about 8 o'clock, um, which is probably, you know. So I, I, that... I used to be physically, physically ill and then the mental illness. But that, for me, is probably the biggest game. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite there with the physical aspects yet, but I'm definitely there. And again, that's my stoppage. If I do this, Heb, if you were to have a drink that night, Heb, and you got pissed and you don't remember, what are you going to feel like tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Irrespective of throwing up and the physical side, it's that whole you know, ringing around everybody. What the hell did I do? What did I say? Did I say anything? Did I upset anybody? Oh God, I don't remember. All of that the next day. Yeah. That's the bit. That's for me the biggest gain at the minute. Yeah. And how has it changed your relationships? Uh, So certainly with my friends and everything, it's fine. Uh, Family, it's okay. Um, me Me and my husband, I think it's better in certain ways he's drinking less which is always a good thing for him with his heart condition he was never he used to be in his youth but uh in older age he's he's not he can control it and sometimes they're like a blowout sometimes he he can have a pint and go do you know what that's it so Mm. we sort of just want to lead this slightly quieter life now not just for his health but just I don't know we're just done with it a bit you know Mm. um so relationship wise it's okay me and my daughters have always had a good relationship anyway um it's actually influenced my younger daughter a bit I think because this is what I say about this generational thing my younger daughter she's 20 and she's actually given up the booze for now for the minute she said I'm you know I, I don't want to drink mum and she wow. started going out and having sober days out and she's 20 wow. and um a lot of her friends as well don't drink now her best friends stopped drinking so there's a little shift in that younger culture as well which is quite interesting to see at the minute yeah. you know yeah. I don't know whether it's a covid thing a cost thing uh or, or whatever but I see like my older daughter as well again she likes a drink you know she she can have a drink but with her work she's a DJ so she's surrounded by that all the time so her idea of a night out is not going to a club drinking because that's like a busman's holiday for her yeah. her idea her idea of a nice night out is a meal with her boyfriend and maybe a glass of wine or maybe you know she's celiac as well so for her beer's out the question and everything anyway yeah. so I see a little shift generationally as well which yeah. I think is, is changing. There's definitely, 
you never had any of this a few years ago this mm. m- movement if you like of it you know which is what your podcast is doing and what a lot of people are doing there's this almost movement yeah and it's 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 brilliant I don't think you know yes. you never you would never have had these resources no I know it's amazing really it feels so cool to be in a position not just sort of for me in my life but just of the timing mm. as well where this so many people want access to this information and, mm. and so many people are making positive life changes just from listening to it it's just yeah amazing and, yeah and I think one of the biggest gains I've had is just that affirmation that there's other people like me out there yeah you know that affirmation that I'm not the only one who blacked out and can't remember a thing yeah. do you know what I mean no, there's, 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 loads there's, of us. there's loads of us you know there's, I'm not you know there's that whole I'm not the only one who does that I might have been the only one amongst my peers yeah. but I'm not the only one I'm not the only middle-aged menopausal woman who flipping <laughs> got absolutely hammered can't remember anything and has had enough you know yes. there's others out there lots so, yeah lots. and that's the bit that is good and a, a definitely a gain out of it Terry is that mm. you know that resource is out there so thank you for that because that's really helped me um I don't think, you know, your podcast amongst others has, has been so influential. So, yeah, very, 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 very pleased about that. Because I don't think I could have, I wish I'd done it 10, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But I can't change that. But I think if I, even if I'd done it 10, 20 years ago, there wouldn't have been all this around to help me. No, no, there wouldn't. Because I did it. You know, your answer would have been alcohol. Not, yeah, your answer yeah. was Alcoholic Anonymous. And that was about it. That was about it, for sure. You know, which yeah, you weren't yeah. quite, like you said, we weren't quite at that Mm, too, too much unfortunately it's just too much shame wrapped up in going in that route for a lot of people that don't feel like they necessarily need to go that route so yeah, yeah the fact that there are so many books and podcasts and there's this community there's just so much available for all the people on the spectrum mm. amazing and you're mm. right it is a movement yeah, there's definitely. And I think the next I think the next thing we will need to conquer is bring the price of the flipping non-alcoholics down. Why are we paying the same as an alcoholic drink? Yeah. You know, I went to a hotel and had a non-alcoholic gin and tonic and they wanted £9.50. I went, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be the next challenge. Bring it down. <laughs> I think we, I went somewhere and my friend had a mocktail and it was 10 or 15 quid or something. Yeah. And, and, and she said, can you just um, sort the pricing out? yeah they did go away and they put it down to five pounds so it's yeah. sometimes worth you know saying something yeah you're just but... like what and then I think I went somewhere once and I asked for this is great you love I asked for a, a fake gin and tonic and they went do you want a double I went are you are joking <laughs> you know, why, would I, why would I want a double fake gin and tonic I was like what did you ask me that oh my god that is so funny that that is that was one of the hilarious sober moments I think do you want a double oh god yeah anyway so I have found them pretty good but I do think they need to you know because you like to go out don't you when you're with your friends I don't know if you do it but they're all having a gin glass so you ask for a fake gin don't you and tonic and it just feels like you're grown up and you've got that glass doesn't it yeah and you can do the boomerang on insta with it and you don't feel like an idiot you know that you've got your coke there or a diet coke you know so they, those are quite good you know although, quite like although i have said to clients before when i've been working with clients what's stopping you getting a soft drink and asking for a better glass yeah i know yeah exactly yeah like, why can't you have that sparkling water and a slice of lime in a wine glass if you just ask for it yeah exactly sometimes we just don't ask for what we want and well, it's 
part of that whole pushing yourself out your comfort zone. It's like if you want a posh glass with your cloudy lemonade, just ask, ask for, for it. it. You yeah. will get it. Yeah. They're not yeah. going to say no. You they might think you're a bit it. weird, but other than yeah. that, and move on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be my next. That would be my next challenge. I think I'll have a slimline tonic, but can I have it in a wine glass? Yeah, or just, a, or just a nice, I don't know what those glasses are called, like a big, are they highball? I don't know. I don't know what they're the called, big, but yeah. The big, yeah. yeah, the big cocktail. Just to make you feel like you're a bit more of a grown-up, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> How would you say that it's changed the relationship you have with yourself? Um, I still have a lot of demons to process, I think. I've still got a lot of regret and shame and guilt that I think I've got to work through. But I've also learned... I think more recently, certainly since now I'm approaching the year, to be a bit kinder to myself about it. There's all this whole thing about being kind at the moment, isn't there? And, and do you know what? I've got to just be a bit, do you know what? I, I, it was a drug. I drank it. I, you know, I can't change what I've done. I can't change that. Um, but I can certainly try and be a better person now. And I think for me, I I could definitely see an improvement in my mental health. I feel like happier in myself. Mm. So that's, you know, my relationship with myself, I think, yeah, I think I'm getting better with it. I'm getting more confident, you know, because I'm a confident person anyway socially, but I can hold a conversation all evening without having a drink and it just turn into a conversation about nonsense, you know, like they do when you've had much wine you're talking crap aren't you mm. so even Saturday night for example I talked to my friends all night and had proper decent conversations about them their jobs their health their welfare their families you know their kids rather than just an hour of it while you're sober and then you just end up doing stupid things on the dance floor all night so um I know I can do that I know I can walk into a room I can walk into a pub I can walk into a party you know all of that I can do um so I just wish I'd done it sooner. I think that's the bit I've got to come to terms with in myself, with my relationship with me. Yeah. But the, the 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 gains that I've had in relation to being a bit happier and a bit more comfortable in it all is, yeah, definitely for me. Oh, that's amazing. Mm. What, um, what three tips would you give our listeners who are looking to get sober or who are sober and maybe looking for some guidance? Yeah, so I guess, you know, a lot of people, maybe this is a bit repetitive, but it does, it, you know, that whole reason for doing it, that motivation. Um, for me, it was very much if I wavered or had a craving or that I wanted that drink or, you know, you were in a situation where you wanted to go in that pub garden, I had to keep telling myself what would happen if you did it and why are you doing this, Heather? And if you've got that, it's almost like stopping you just going oh yes sod it I'll have a wine mm. so for me one of the key things is is if I if I you know we drove past but you know it's been sunny recently isn't it we drove past mm. a pub and everyone sit outside having a glass of wine and I was like oh I miss that and, and Lee just said to me well you can do that Heather. just don't have a glass of wine sitting out there I went yeah do you know what I can I can sit in a pub garden all afternoon if I want um and just not have the glass of wine but I've got to tell myself when I'm in that environment my my reason for doing it so one of my tips to anybody out there is go if you ever feel like you need that drink no matter what stress is in your life just before you grab that glass or open that bottle go back to what you're doing it for mm. and that should hopefully stop you um the second tip i would say is ignore the haters <laughs> um 
I don't want I don't think you should have to defend yourself about your decisions but I found that I did and you know what in the end just say to them you know what just fuck off I'm I'm just I'm not drinking that's it yeah you know don't feel like you've got to justify yourself to every single person in your life in your work your family or your social do you you know don't don't justify yourself and be firm in what you were saying to people when they're trying to waver you no, you're all right. Why are you not drinking tonight, Heather? Have that drink. Come on, you'll be all right. No, it's all right. Thank you. I'm not drinking. And in the end, if they get too much, well, do you know what? That's your problem. So my second tip would definitely be, yeah, you're going to find you've got to defend yourself. But do you know what? Stand firm with that, no matter who they are. Because like you said, that's their problem. They just want the old Hev back or the old you back. They want that party person to make them have a good time. So that would be my second tip. And thirdly, find those like-minded people, whether that be your family or friends or, or whoever, but find those people. Because I think without that, I probably could have wavered. Yeah. You know, if I'm having a wobble, I need, I'll go for a dog walk and I'll put the podcast on because I need to reaffirm that I, I, there's people out there that are like me and that um, I've got those people there in my life. It might not be my family or my friends who might not understand me totally, and that's fine. But there are people out there who do. And if that means scrolling through my sober Instagram people and seeing their motivational quotes or their what they're doing with their lives, all right, some of them like <laughs> some of them are running marathons, which is great, you know what? But if some of them are just, I don't know, it's a Sunday morning dog walk and they've posted it because they're sober and they're out at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday walking their dog, use that to help you because yeah. that's okay too. Yeah. You know, don't, don't, don't try and move mountains. Mm. It's a slow process. Yeah. You know, it's taken you, what, you four years now, Terry, is it? Mm-hmm. You just celebrated, yeah. yeah. You know, it's taken you four years to get to that point where you're keeping fit, you've got your life, you know, you, you're looking after yourself. And, 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 and arguably, I don't do that every week. Like, I'm no. trying. I'm still exactly. It's not, you know, you've got stuff. family work, everything to balance, <laughs> isn't it? You know, again, we've yeah. got to be kind to ourselves, you know. Totally. And, um, but at least find those, find those like-minded people, whoever that might be, in whatever format or forum, because that's kind of where you're going to get your... I'm okay about this. There's other people like me. So I would probably, if those are my three tips, those would probably be them. They've worked for me anyway. Oh, I think they're amazing. Really, really good tips. Um, if you're open to us following your journey or getting in touch or sending a message just to say, well done, how can we find you? Yeah, so um, I've not I'm not got a sober Instagram or anything like that. I am looking to do something like that when I hit the year. Um, I've sought some help about how I do it because I'm not the most it social media gurus but if anybody wants to message me or reach out to me it's hev davies 140522 on insta so hev davies 140522 and if they want to dm me and ask for any help or support more than welcome i'm not like a big cyber thing on there i don't post that much but you know i'm always there if someone if someone else is a wedding they don't remember and they want to reach out to me it's not a problem you know let's talk yeah anything like that i bet there's a lot of that Mm, mm. a lot of that yeah um, Heather it's been so lovely to have oh you yeah there. it's been great I really enjoyed it thank you so much for everything and for yeah. just being you and you know huge congrats your few days off from celebrating a year I yeah. hope you enjoy that cake and yeah. I hope you celebrate and yeah I'm, I'm looking thank forward you. To, to seeing how it all goes for you so thank yeah you so much. yeah Thank you, Terry. It's been lovely. It's been really good to get on here and and share my story and meet you. So thank you. It's been brilliant. Pleasure. And thanks to everyone else. Bye. 
you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.